to be a part of that. And I want to make sure you know that and affirm you in that. Um, and uh, we just want to be a community, a community that serves one another, a community that serves West Philly, and to allow that to overflow into our service of the world. And so, again, you're welcome to, uh, I want to extend a welcome to you to be a part of us. Um, let's pray for the service today. Thanks, Lord, so much for this new day you created. Thank you that we are persevering and doing more than that, overcoming this uh, pandemic and its need to isolate. Lord, you are helping us come up with new ideas and ways to connect with each other from fire pits in our backyard to conversations on our front porch to walks to the scavenger hunt we'll have in the future, Lord. I, I just thank you for that. And I just ask you to continue to bless us with these ideas. And I thank you that we can meet online virtually and still worship and praise you together. May your name be lifted up today. May, may, may the message and the person of Jesus be elevated. He is our center and we honor Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. Um, Holy Spirit, have your way in our service today. Bless the hearts of those who hear. Help them to hear the message you have for them out of the message you've given me. And may our worship, Lord, be, may, may, may you rejoice. May you be glad. May you find joy in our worship of you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bless the Lord of my soul. Oh, my soul. Worship his heart.
so loving to us. You're so merciful to us, God. We thank you for your peace. We thank you, God, for your love. We thank you, God, for just your faithfulness to us, that no matter what situation, no matter where we are, that you are not simply far away watching, but that you come down to be in it with us, to walk with us, to provide strength, to provide wisdom, to provide peace in the midst of every situation. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you for that incredible love, for that incredible peace and power that you provide. And we just wanna to continue to sing your praise. We wanna to continue to give you the glory and honor that you deserve. In your name we pray, amen, amen. going to continue church in the spirit of uh, praise and adoration for this loving, gracious, merciful God. So this is uh, kind of an oldie, but one of my favorite songs, and uh, we hope that you'll join with us and that uh, just bless your spirit.
to help me? What does that have to do with me, God? Am I my brother's keeper? Whose keeper am I? To discover the answer to these questions, we are going to examine what it means to be a keeper from the scripture. And we're going to look at the book of beginnings to see what it has to say or implies regarding our keeping of one another and our role um, together in life as God has called us to be keepers. So um, why are we going to talk about this? Because when I look at the world today, when I look at the economic struggles we are having, you know, the stock exchange is generally doing well, but there aren't enough jobs for people. And the salaries that people are making, are, they just aren't enough to sustain a family in our society. Um, people struggle with food insecurity. There are long lines when uh, those, those box food giveaways are going on, and so many people are in need. And then when we watch on television and see um, the reports of the long lines in other cities and how they line up in their cars and you see the kind of cars people are driving, it helps us understand the situations our people are in. It's not, there are new poor, there are new people being affected that have no resource or limited resource and are in need of help. When I hear that the government is fighting to get rid of uh, the Affordable Care Act and its requirement of insurers to, to, uh, to take care of those with pre-existing conditions, I know we have to talk about these kinds of things. When I see that COVID is spreading and the numbers are, are so disproportionate for our country as for the rest of the world, I know we have to talk about this, that more people are dying and that the, the tests that we have, the number of tests are shrinking as if, you know, things are not gonna, need is not there as if uh, it's the testing that's making people get sick instead of keeping us well. When I consider these things, I know I have to ask the question, whose keeper am I? When I hear the verbal and physical assaults taking place in people's lives, because someone has just asked them to wear a mask. They have to add, you know, it just seems like what in the world is happening and why have we lost this sense? And we don't ask ourselves the question, whose keeper am I? Why should I care? What do I have to do with them? We have to ask ourselves these questions. There are institutions in our society that are designed to address many issues, right? For every symptom there is, there's probably an organization, an institution that's set apart for that. We can put together laws and policies. We put them in place um, and we build structures together for how humans, how people can get resources. There's civil rights laws, there's policies that result in feeding programs. But you and I know that these laws, which in many respects when it comes to civil rights are called acts and have not been codified and made law. Uh, and the programs that we have, they ebb and flow with the political whims of our day. But the need of the people doesn't ebb and flow. Jesus said the poor will always have with us. And that wasn't an indictment against the poor to say there are always going to be people who are 
not responsible, who are useless. It was God saying that there will always be, because of what's in our hearts, there'll be needs among us. And we will be able to deal and address that need. Too often that scripture has been used to put down the poor instead of God saying, focus on me right now. Think about me because I'm your method that will overlap into overflowing blessings that enable you to take care of the poor. God has given us, the followers of Jesus, the responsibility to address these issues at their core at our hearts. I want to believe that if we are clearer about how God intended us to live life together and the provisions God has given us on how we do that, we are more able to critique ourselves and with God's help to make the changes that are needed individually and collectively to make our world a better place. And you know, that aligns with our vision for our church, Mosaic. We want to make Philly, West Philly, overflow into Philly and overflow into the rest of the world. Our de desire is to help this world we live in to be better. And understanding that that requires an action from us, a critique of us looking at our own hearts and telling ourselves the truth. So, I want to start this conversation with you this morning, uh, getting a common understanding of the word keeper in the context of Genesis 4-9. Now that says, when the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Uh, and Cain's response was, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? But God's question was not posed because God didn't know what happened. Like God uh, did with the original humans in the Garden of Eden, God posed this question to them. And it was an opportunity for them to admit, for Cain to admit the wrong that Cain had done, to come clean and to take responsibility for his actions. The Hebrew word translated keeper is shomer. It means to guard and to watch. Now, there's a story in the Midrash. It is a, it's an ancient Hebrew commentary on the scriptures that the rabbis put together, um, I think, during the 7th or 10th centuries. No, no, no early, earlier than that, sorry. Um, that helps to explain what, inspired, what transpired between God and Cain in their conversation. The story is an allegory that goes like this. A thief entered a building in the middle of the night while the guard was sleeping. The, the thief stole something. Now, as the thief was leaving the building, he made a noise and the guard suddenly woke up and the guard announced immediately, started shouting and yelling, what are you doing? Why are you stealing? And the thief's reply very calmly was, I'm doing my job and my job is to steal. The real question is, why aren't you doing your job, which is watching out for thieves like me? So according to the Midrash, when Cain was asking God, am I my brother's keeper? He was in an essence saying, I'm not the guardian of my brother. And you know I have a murderous nature. 
So what happened with Abel really isn't my fault. You see, this is my nature. Like the thief, I'm a thief, I steal. In fact, the responsibility for Abel's life or even his death is on you, God, for you are the true keeper of Abel and you are supposed to watch over him. I love going back and looking at what, uh, when, when I studied the Old Testament, to look at what, what uh, the Hebrew rabbis had to say about scripture. Um, it provides such wonderful insight. And, and with that insight, it just makes me go back and think about what happened uh, in the separation, the fall, you know, that they blame, or the, the male blamed God for what they had done. And here's Cain repeating that same thing. It, God, it's your fault. It's your fault that this thing went down like this. And this gets to one of the central un, uh, underpinnings uh, about providing social programs that protect those who are struggling or can't take care of themselves. That central underpinning that I've heard all my life, uh, especially with uh, like the Reagan administration, was one of personal responsibility. King was saying, I'm not responsible for my actions because this is who I am. And I cannot be a keeper of anyone because of my nature. How can you expect me to act otherwise? Now, in our day, we tend to twist this line of thinking even more. Cain was putting the sole responsibility for care of Abel on God. We put the sole responsibility on God, and we put it back on the person, the victims, the ones who are dealing with the struggles. We say things that our siblings, we say things, we say that our siblings are not taking personal responsibility for themselves. They choose the states they're in, uh, which has resulted in them needing assistance. So why should I get involved in this if they're not taking care of themselves? Why should I get involved if they're making bad decisions? Why should I give my resources when they've wasted theirs? They have, uh, they've had the same choices and opportunities. I'm doing right, so I should reap the benefit for that and I should not have to take personal responsibility for their wrong. I don't have anything to do with that, that mentality. In other situations, we say things like, if she wasn't dressed provocatively or walking in that bad area, she wouldn't have been assaulted. Or if he just listened and did what the police told him to do, he'd be alive today. But, you know, we can talk to Orlando Castile and find out that that's not true. But we say things, we think things like that. Angry debates have erupted over these things today. The job market, they say, is improving. So people don't need assistance. They just don't want to go back to work because they've gotten so much money. How can that be when we've lost 20, over 22 million jobs were lost between February and April, and we've only gained back like 9.3 million jobs since then. People are still in need. People are not lazy. In fact, people get embarrassed to go and ask for assistance. But when they see that their children are hungry, they go and get what the, what's needed to take care of their families. 
Yes, there are those who abuse the system. There'll always be those who abuse the system. But the number of people who abuse the system is smaller than the number of people who need the system. God provided a response to this kind of thinking, to Cain's reasonings uh, before Cain committed murder. In Genesis 4, verses 6 through 8, it's, it reads, Then God said to Cain, Why are you angry? Now this was after Cain and Abel presented their offerings to God. Cain's was not pleasing to God, and Abel's was. And God said this to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will you not be accepted? But listen, if you don't do what's right, sin or that which separates us is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over that desire in you. But instead of doing what was right and be his brother's keeper, he chose to harm his brother be his brother's destroyer. And reading these words, to, uh, these words that were for Cain, we can also hear God's response to us. Why do we get angry? Because people are getting assistance. Why is our face downcast? If we do what's right, won't we be accepted? If we don't, don't we risk separating from one another even more. This sin, this thing that separates us is among us and, and is crouching at every door of all of our homes. And it wants to take us over. It wants to rule over us. You and I have a responsibility to rule over our tendency to separate from one another. You and I have the, have the personal responsibility that becomes a collective responsibility to care for one another and to be unified in our seeing that everyone is cared for, meaning that everyone has what they need not only to sustain their lives, but to encourage the potential within them. Why? Because if we don't, as we haven't in the past, our selfishness wins and continues to rule over us. And we continue to practice murder in all its various forms. You see, yes, there are people who harm the body and kill the body, but we've managed to craft systems, organizations, policies, and attitudes that kill the soul and that kill the potential in other human beings in this world. Like implicit bias in our educational systems, like that keep black and brown and, and, and female bodies out of like the advanced sciences or out of leadership roles. We harm potential in favor of a caste system that supports our selfishness and does not support our helping to release and free people so that they can fulfill the role that God has called them to fulfill in the earth. They're distracted by the circumstances of life, just like we get distracted, but this is a heavier burden. And it becomes about how to, where to sleep when I'm homeless and how to get a better job when my educational opportunities has been limited. 
And I'm not thinking about the release. I'm just thinking about survival, the release of my gifts, the release of the vision that God has given me, the release of the talent and the skill that the earth needs because God created each of us with purpose. And to meet, not just purpose so we'll be happy, but purpose to meet a need in the earth. And when that purpose goes unfulfilled, that need continues. I think our limited interpretations and understanding of our biblical origin stories play a distinct role in perpetuating some of the, the ways of, of selfishness, of separating between us. Bear with me, please. Hear me out. Okay. In the first and second chapters of Genesis, we have uh, translated um, ha-adam in ways that elevate masculinity. In Genesis 1, 27 through 28, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he, him. Male and female created he, them. Now that's the uh, King James version of that. The uh, New International Version says, so God created mankind, getting better, in his own image. In the image of God created he, them. Male and female created he, them. Yeah. The revised, New Revised Standard Version goes like this. So God created humankind in God's image. And in the image of God, God created them. Male and female, God created them. Even better. And more uh, newer versions are coming out that are making us look at our language so that we stop our tendency toward these hierarchies that make people superior and others inferior. We've come, we have, um, how have we come to see our God, who is three in one, who exists in a deep, interpenetrating unity so that those three persons of God are so unified, they are the one God. How have we come to see him or God, her, as the crafter of a hierarchy of masculine over feminine? Scripture doesn't teach us that. Our culture has placed that on us. Sometimes I really don't get it. I do it because I'm acculturated to it, but I don't really understand why it became a part of our culture, except when I examine these kinds of things through the lens offered to me or offered to us in the story of Cain. Cain brought an offering that wasn't accepted, and Abel brought an offering that was. Cain's, in Cain's mind, that made Abel better than him. Cain couldn't live with that and killed his brother. Hierarchies. It was never about being better than anyone. It was about God's love for Cain, to look at Cain's heart and to help Cain make different choices. God's encouragement was for Cain to examine himself so he could be whole, that he could exist in wholeness and in unity with himself and with God and with others. But Cain had a me and mine attitude, not an us and we together attitude. Um, we have to move to better interpret scripture 
scripture is moving us in actuality toward an us and we together attitude. Which I believe is what God intended from the very beginning. The New Revised Standard Version says God created humankind in God's image. In the image of God, God created them. Male and female, God created them. And there is a need to continue to grow in our understanding of scripture like these. Um, in Genesis, again, God says in the second chapter, verse 18, then God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. Now, in the study of the Hebrew language, um, there is an older text, and this is the text that was written between the 7th and 10th centuries by Hebrew scholars. Um, it's the Masoretic text that we actually use to interpret our Old, our old Testament. Um, the word uh, for man, the word used as man in some of the older texts of scripture um, is ha-adam. Ha is an article like the that's placed in front of a word. Now, the Hebrew language follows a basic principle that we have in English, right? You don't call me the angel. You call me angel because it's a proper name. When it, there's a proper name, there's no article in front. So the ha-adam becomes adam, okay? But in many of our scriptures, it is ha-adam. And, and in this scripture, it is. It is not good for ha-adam to be alone. It's not good that the man should be alone. It is not good that, in, in actuality, humanity or human beings should be alone or the only, be only one human. It is not good that the one human should be alone. Some have interpreted this as being as as the one human being all humanity being in the one human it is not good that the one it is not good that man should be all one thus saying that all humanity was in one body i lean more toward uh this interpretation that god created humanity and god created the fullness of humanity in the first human being uh, and that when god looked at that, there wasn't the same kind of unity in the one human being that God experienced the three becoming one. And so that statement of it's not good to be alone is a reflection of our image bearing of God in the earth. Um, but I lean toward that, but I just want you to know, I look at different perspectives and I learn what I can from all the perspectives that are offered. And I ask you to do the same. We've argued about these texts in the next text I'm gonna go over because we think there's only one way you can see the scripture, but the scripture is deep. It opens up new levels or new depths of understanding to us. And that's why it's important to learn at the feet of the Holy Spirit to have that relationship that you can feel the prompting and moving of God and God leading us to ask questions and to seek answers uh, from God. So, in response to that, the 
It's not good to be alone. God said in verse 18, I will make the one human being, for the one human being, a helper as his partner or as her partner, it could be said. But I will make a partner for the one human being. We don't have a neuter word. You know, we don't do neuter nouns. We do, we attach them in masculine feminine ways strictly. I wish we did have that kind of neutral neuter uh, word endings, but we don't. So he says, so next God created, he said, it's not good to be alone. He said, I'm going to, re I'm going to recreate for the human being partners. And then God created animals. And amongst those animals, there was no one that could be found who was like the human being. So we learned this at the end of verse 20. We learned that from the things simply formed from the ground, there was not found a helper, a partner. Verse 21, so God caused, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the human, and he slept. And then he, God took one of the human's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Now, there have been many, again, many debates over this particular, these particular scriptures. Did God actually take a rib from the first human? And uh, some have said that the word rib can be interpreted. Uh, it comes from a Hebrew uh, and an aromatic word, Aramaic word, that's been um, interpreted as the side. So God took from the first human side, which has, uh, which was uh, to demonstrate their equality. He took from the side of the first human and made the woman. And this is supposed to be uh, a way of demonstrating the equality of the two. That's one perspective, okay? Some of the scholars involved in translating uh, the New American Standard Bible argued that the word being used uh, for rib could also be interpreted chamber. That God removed a chamber from the first human to be used in the crafting of the second human. Now, this always made more sense to me. Why? God created humanity with the intention that there were always going to be many humans. He said, God said to humanity, be fruitful and multiply. And so it was always in the intent that humanity multiply, which means God needed to provide a way for that to happen, for humans to reproduce, right? So in my head, it just made more sense that that chamber be more like a portion of the means of reproduction that was taken from the first human. Make sense? And God used this chamber, this portion of reproduction, and around it formed a woman so that together they could reproduce and thus together fulfill every aspect of the purpose God designed or gave to humanity, to be fruitful and multiply, to replenish the earth. Forever humanity would exist in a loving relationship where they would work together from a united collective to fulfill our purpose. Now, when God introduced the second human, the woman, to the first, 
the meal. He got excited. He said, this, after looking at all those animals that he named, you know, and God, God paraded in front of him, the first human said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman for out of man. This one has, has taken now, the first human was excited to see another human being, someone like him. And that joy was not uh, about, uh, just about, um, and that joy was not being the only one. The joy of not being the only one just came to a bubble, a burst in, in, in his life. And he, he said this, that this person will be called in some respects, and I like this, it's kind of cute, but the woman, a woman with a, a person or a human with a womb, for she was taken out of a human. And this human, again, carried, my belief, you don't have to hold with it, but I believe the first human carried all of humanity within. And so that that was split so that they both could share in the producing of all humanity. We tend to focus, when we look at these scriptures, on just gender. But the truth of it is that it's more about having other humans populating the earth with humanity that God made to reflect God's image. Not just about gender, but us being together and how we as the people would live and pursue the replenishing of the earth, making it better, making it grow bringing order and structure, taking care so nothing would be abused and nothing would be lost. This is the task that God gave us collectively. And it was about, I don't have to do this by myself. I don't have to do this alone. There are others that will share in this with me. And so we have a pronouncement. Therefore, a man or a human because it's really about a man and a woman, will leave their father and mother, because it's Ha-Adam, not just Adam, the proper name. It is Ha-Adam, meaning humanity. Therefore will humanity leave the father and their mother and cling to their spouse, and they will become one flesh, which is a reflection of the one flesh that they were before. One in flesh, one in purpose, one in unity, one in commitment, one in purpose, one in pursuit, one in encouragement, one in love. Why? Because we were designed to reflect God, the three, the God who is community, three in one, in the way we love and are united in our common unity. And scripture tells us in verse 25, and the first humans were both naked and not ashamed. They were united in the way that were created. They were united in purpose. They were united in opportunity. And in their, uh, in, in their own interpenetrating unity, there was no reason for shame. And Cain's disunity, his lack of connection with his God and with his brother, there was shame. He couldn't stand that his brother's offering was found acceptable in his not. And the experience of that shame, of the feelings that came with that caused him to strike out and to harm his brother. I submit for your consideration this morning 
the answer to whose keeper am I? The answer is that I am to guard and to watch, right? Because that's what, how we define keeper, that I am the guard of myself and I am to watch over others. I am, the guard, I am to guard myself, my heart, monitor the selfishness that wants to come out of me so that it doesn't rule me. And I am to watch over others to ensure that they have what they need to sustain life and to promote the potential that's within them. Whose keeper am I? I'm my keeper and my sibling's keeper in the earth. That's whose keeper I am. I'm not the parent because God is our parent, but I'm to walk in unity hand in hand and encouraging and encouragement with others regarding how we pursue the fulfilling or the filling of the earth and making it better, how we pursue making Philly better, how we pursue making our families better, being a part of it, not overruling, not looking at people as inferior or superior, but how we together occupy the space, the role, the, the gifts that God has given us so that with my gift will meet your need and your gift will meet my need and together we will have what we need to fulfill our purpose. Am I my brother's keeper? You better believe I am. And it gives me the responsibility, the personal responsibility to guard my heart and monitor my selfishness and to watch over another to make sure they have what they need. That's the answer. Am I my brother's keeper or whose keeper am I? I'm yours. You're mine. I'm mine. You're your own. Not to parent, but to participate in unity with one another. So as an application to what I've talked about this week, I want you to do the following. I'm going to do it too. I want you to critique your thoughts regarding personal responsibility. Now critique, some people, it's not criticism. Criticism is when people are being negative. Critique is when you're taking an honest look at what I really think about some stuff. And I'm going to check myself. My I had a pastor used to say, sometimes you need a check up from the neck up. I'm going to check myself to see if I'm thinking the way God would have me think about some things. So here are the things. And I'm going to post them um, on our forum and on our church uh, web, uh, Facebook page. Okay? So this week I want you to critique your thoughts regarding personal responsibility in these areas regarding how you share your personal resources. Okay, think about it. Think about what God is calling us to do and how you and I do it. How our government provides for those who can't provide for themselves. I want us to actually, you know, this is why when, when nobody's watching or if I'm talking to family and friends and I know other people aren't paying attention to me or aren't there to see me, what do I really say? What do I really think? And then I want us to check what we think, to search the internet, to search, I don't know, newspapers and things, to see if our thinking is in line with the facts. How do you think about, what do you think about wearing masks? And what do you think about those who don't? And examine the sources to see if it's an accurate, again, reflection of what's going on. 
and regarding educational access and opportunity hoarding. Do you really think all those white kids and males are in the advanced programs because they're way smarter than people of color and women? It doesn't bear out. If a school is 90%, 85% African-American, how can only all the white kids be in the gifted programs? Something doesn't quite click with that. We're members of a social action group uh, called POWER, uh, where the Christian community in our city and cities across the country gathered together to influence the decisions uh, made by our leaders in support of those uh, who have limited opportunity. And the place that we decided we wanted to focus was education. And so I include education for us to think about because I'd like us to be more active and we will get in the coming year more actively engaged in this. What, am I my brother's keeper or how am I participating in guarding and watching over my family, my siblings, as it relates to educational opportunity? Or am I an education hoarder, an opportunity hoarder? Do I make sure that my family makes sure I got some stuff and not worry about other people? And, and when I looked at it in class, did I even have the, 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 the understanding to sit in classes and know and think and ask myself the question, why aren't there more black kids here? You know, we, many of us have read the books why the book why are all the black kids sitting in at the black back of the cafeteria but we haven't pr produced a book that says why aren't there as many black kids or females in the advanced science class so again they're just some random things i picked you can pick something that's more attuned to where god has you focused and ask yourself those questions how am i how do i guard and keep myself and others in those areas. Am I my brother's keeper? You better believe I am. I am. And I have to respect that I have a personal responsibility to ensure your opportunity as you do mine. So may God bless us um, as we consider God's word in light of our present day. Amen. So next, I would like um, us just to move on to uh, our announcements, and we'll end with one song for worship and our benediction. Um, but today, I wanted, and I'm, I'm grateful to have an opportunity, if I find my page, to have an opportunity to, um, to introduce everyone to the newest member of our staff. I uh, sent an email out um, on Friday letting people know that our youth specialist who was helping with our worship service uh, to do the music has found a new full-time job. That's Raheem Carey. And so we want to be excited for him that he has full-time employment. So Raheem is going to continue with us, but only in the role of youth specialist. And so that he can continue his relationship with our kids. He's done a wonderful job. And then he can give his time to the other position and, and in the development of his career, which is great. So Raheem told me all of that, what was going on with him, and I was sad. And I just started praying. I, I want to be encouraging to him, so I encouraged him, of course. But then I was like, okay, Lord, what are we going to do? And immediately the Lord brought Kennedy Lamascus to mind. And so I called her, and then I emailed her, 
And we had an opportunity to talk about the position and I offered it to her later in the week and Kennedy accepted the position as our uh, new uh, worship coordinator. So I wanna have an opportunity just to introduce her to the church. She and her husband Parker have been attending church for some time now. They were here before I got here. And so um, Kennedy uh, has been um, away um, and visiting us while she was studying at, in, New, in New England. Um, and so, but I'm gonna give Kennedy a chance to share her story with us. So good morning, Kennedy. It's good to have you with good us. Good morning, thank you. Welcome to, uh, welcome to this new role in church and uh, um, being uh, one of the staff and leaders of our congregation. I was wondering if you would just give us, uh, tell us a little bit about how you first, how you and Parker found the church uh, and started attending. Yeah. Um, so to be transparent, we only beat you by about two weeks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, uh, Parker and I both graduated from Oklahoma Christian University in 2018. Um, and then we moved to Boston so I could pursue my master's degree. And then um, a year later, we uh, moved to Philly so Parker could start his graduate program. He goes to UPenn. Um, and so we uh, both grew up in a tradition called Church of Christ in Oklahoma, and that's the affiliation that our college was with as well. So then we were in Brookline, and we were looking for new churches, and we found the church we really loved, and we were really sad to move away from the Boston area um, because we thought, man, it's going to be so hard to church hop again and try to find a community that we love and that we feel like is where we're supposed to be and so for about a month I think we were trying different places uh it was maybe more than a month but anyway as soon as we went to Mosaic we were like oh this this feels more like home this feels like where we were supposed to be it wasn't really a question we after church I remember we were walking home and we were just like yeah, this, this feels good. <laughs> um, and as I was thinking and preparing for this uh, little Q&A in front of the church, um, I think individuals who grow up with a faith tradition so present in their life often carry a lot of baggage with that, and I'm certainly no stranger to that fact. Um, but I think that the transition between... Um, you know, being in school and uh, being an adult, that Mosaic and my experience at Mosaic and some in Boston as well is really when I've started to switch mindsets of thinking about church as something, uh, church is a list of things that I don't like versus church is a list of things that I, I do like. So for so long, it was like, well, I don't want to find a church that does A, B, and C. But now Mosaic has helped me transition and really opened my eyes and the Lord's been able to work on my heart and my mind a little bit to start thinking about positives like, oh, this is what church is supposed to be, right? Not just what I don't like, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thank you, that's good, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I think the church has done that for me too, honestly. It's really, it's great. Thank you guys for that. Um, share with us about your love for music and and how you came to lead musical groups and things. 
Yeah. Um, so my parents claim that when I was in church as a toddler or something, like if we'd sing a song in a minor key or something that I would cry. And then if we'd sing a more upbeat song, I would stop crying. I don't know. That seems a little bit like parental exaggeration, but that's what I mean. Um, so I started theater and voice lessons and piano lessons as a young child and just kind of grew up uh, doing all of those things. Um, I was really involved in a community theater when I was growing that uh, crossed a lot of class, economic, racial lines um, as far as like it wasn't just one of those from each category. It really opened my eyes to the first steps in uh, equity in my life. And so um, I felt like I wanted to go to college for music because it was just such a big part of my life. Uh, and so I was a music major in undergrad. And then um, as I began to develop more leadership skills and organizational skills, I was like, oh, well, how can I blend those two things together? So then I went and applied for master's degrees in conducting. And that's why I attended New England Conservatory in Boston for my master's degree in conducting and um, love leading groups of people of all skill levels. Um, I've worked with all, every skill level and lots of age, di different age groups. Um, and I love the joy of communal singing. There's something really powerful about everybody singing a phrase together. So everybody's gonna take a breath at the same time. Like there's, it's just so magical to me. Um, the idea of breath and making a noise at the same time. Like we're all in one mind in that moment. Um, so I love uh, doing that. And I, I have been a part of a worship band um, through undergrad. We attended a church in Oklahoma City where I was um, on the worship team. And then when we were in Boston, I uh, we went to a church where it was an acapella tradition. So I led and got to conduct music that way too. Wow. I love what you said about one breath and then one sound. Yeah. Yeah. That's what God has us, I think, or at least has me. Mm -hmm. So why'd you say yes when I, when I asked you about the job? Um, I said, well, I was so excited because um, I just admire the, I admire this community so much. Um, and I think that churches, I, I've had a lot of experience with different churches um, just because of the nature of, I guess, church hopping and then going to different, trying out different places in undergrad and such. Um, I was really excited that this community is so enriched with a love of Jesus and a love of um, service and especially service in the community that they find themselves in. I feel like a lot of churches feel like they need to go abroad or, um, you know, cross state lines or something to make a difference. But I love that Mosaic is about being right here in our neighborhood in West Philly. I mean, I think that this particular community has a broader mindset for church. Like we're not just here for the spiritual health of our people, but also we're talking about the financial health and we're making sure that, you know, the whole of our community and the whole of the individuals that make up our community are okay and that we're gonna take care of them. And I, I really appreciate that that aspect of Mosaic. Um, and I really admire you as well, Pastor Angel. I think 
um, your vision for where you want Mosaic to be and what you're trying to guide us into is, is really amazing. And I'm excited to be part of that team. Um, I also am really excited to be part of a team that uh, is made up of so many different backgrounds. And um, I think I'm gonna learn a lot from, from all of the team and the whole community. So I'm really grateful. I am too. And it's funny, I did not, just so everybody knows, I did not go, Lord, send Black people, send Asian people. I did none of that. I just said, Lord, send your people. And so the Lord has crafted the staff for us um, that is really uh, reflective of our community. And I'm grateful. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to have you, Kennedy. I'm excited about working with you in the future. Um, I thank you for saying yes. I want you to know, like I said to you privately, I am your pastor first and foremost. And so I'm here for you. And my deepest desire is to help you fulfill your potential, you know, as a worship leader and in the other pursuits you have in life. And so um, I, I pray that this be good ground for you to grow in. I really do. So I'm going to ask our, um, one of our council members, uh, Andrew Richardson, if he will pray for you and pray for our staff, our current configuration of staff, as we go into this new season. Um, of ministry together, of life together. So, Andrew, if you will. Absolutely. <clears throat> um, if you guys would pray with me, thank you so much. Um, Jesus, we just come before you today um, humbly uh, at your feet, Lord, just with all of the things that are going on in this world and in this community and um, just the continual change that we experience on a daily basis, um, the continual unrest that we have a place to come on Sunday mornings, Lord, and just uh, feel peace and to experience you. And as Kennedy said, uh, you know, take a breath together. Um, just pray for the staff overall, Lord, as it continues to grow and has been growing, Lord, that they would just experience community and support with each other that they would experience um, love and kindness and um, all of the things that you have brought him here to do, Lord, that there would be clarity, <clears throat> that there would be vision continued to uh, pour out of, of every single one of them, Lord, and that you give Pastor Angel the strength to, uh, you know, corral where she needs to corral and let free where she needs to let free and let go. Lord, we pray for Kennedy specifically and, and her time here, Lord, that you would fulfill her and fill her with um, everything that she needs in this community in order to pour out to us, Lord. We know that um, leading a church, whether it's as a pastor or a staff member or with kids um, or with worship, that it can be draining and that we just continually ask that she and other members of the staff, that their cup is constantly filled by you and by others, and that um, you just continually do that, Lord. Um, I just pray that um, every person who attends our services, whether it be online or in person, when we get back together, Lord, that from a worship perspective, that every one of them feels something of you. We know that that worship is different for different people, um, but that they are able to connect with what uh, what Kennedy is leading and putting out there and that um, just like Pastor Angel talked about for her sermon, that it's less of her and more of you. And um, we just thank you for 
uh, all of the amazing staff members that we have now and all the folks that we've had in the past, whether it be with worship um, or on staff, Lord, and, and just uh, ask that you continue to bless us and bless them as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Angel's going to unmute here so we can hear. She forgot. It's okay. Thank you. I was just saying, telling everybody to unmute and give them a hand clap or welcome Kennedy and to um, to just celebrate with Raheem who's with us this morning, his new position. So congratulations, Raheem, that. And uh, man, there you, there's that face, there's that smile. Good morning. So celebrate with him. Guys, I, I included their uh, church email addresses, so feel free to drop them a line, a word of encouragement and support and welcome. And just to introduce yourselves, it's kind of hard when, you know, we're not in person anymore. So, yeah, that means you got to go out of your way. So I'm asking you to go out of your way and welcome folks, okay? Um, and hopefully, uh, that'll take me to talking about Mosaic Homecoming. Hopefully we'll get to meet people face to face when we gather at Clark Park at 1230 um, at the end of our scavenger hunt on Saturday, the 28th, 26th of September. Uh, we'll get to see faces and welcome people personally. Amen. So on uh, the weekend of September 26th and 27th, we are having our Mosaic Homecoming. Now, I'm calling it Homecoming because you know how you have Homecoming in high school, right? And it's an opportunity for everybody to get together and people come back in college if you have a, a football team and stuff. is an even bigger deal because um, you get the alumni to come back and people can see the progress that's being made at the church or at the school that you were at and, and join in in different ways. Um, but you can get an update on what's happened in their life. They can get an update on what's happening in your life and we can see that the seeds that were planted in lives through God's gift of mosaic continues uh, no matter where our family is in the world today. And so I would love for you to invite people to come and join us. Again, you will see some um, advertisements for it on Facebook. Uh, we'll send it to you um, in a way that you can copy it and send it to friends. And please invite them to come. We're having just a, a little scavenger hunt, um, which I thought, you know, we need to do something fun. We need to do something where we kind of see people doing the same thing. So it gets our competitive juices going a little bit, you know, um, because there will be prizes uh, at the end. And, and then just an opportunity, nothing formal, uh, because the formal stuff that we tried to do it with Clark Park would drive us crazy. Everybody would have to register and all that stuff. We're not going to do that. We're just going to meet up and then so bring a, bling, a blanket and, and a picnic, if you will, or just bring yourselves and we'll meet up at 1230 and we'll be able to talk and give away some prizes and spend a, some physically distance social time with one another, mask mandatory. And then on Sunday, we'll have service, you know, it'll be a service filled with some surprises. It won't be a traditional service, there'll be music. Uh, some little lip sync things going on, and more than me will be sharing a word um, as we focus on and uh, where we are and how God has called us to be a center set, center set church. And uh, I can talk a little bit about what the vision God has given us, given me for the next year. Um, so please join us. And lastly, 
oh, two more things. Um, we have AJ, our director of operations, will be in the office again on Wednesdays. So someone will be in the, in the office on Wednesdays from 10 uh, to 2. So we'll be there. And then you can make appointments to see me either virtually or we can take a walk or something together. Um, you can make an appointment for that. But we will be in the office Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 10 to 4 and open to receive people. Okay. Um, and then by appointment, masks are required. Okay. We want to keep each other healthy. And then lastly, I just want to give people a reminder that your offerings and gifts are welcome. Um, you are still able to text that offering or go into Unsplash. Unsplash? No, Subsplash. Thank you. Unsplash is where I get my pictures. Subsplash is where we give money uh, and uh, provide that offering. We are grateful for the gifts that you give to this church. We, are, we can only operate through the gifts that we all participate in giving. Um, and um, you guys have been faithful. So we thank you for that. And uh, council is almost, I think, finished working on the budget. So we'll establish a time to talk to you all about what we're looking at for the next year with a little more detail. Uh, soon. So uh, let's pray over the offering. Thank you, Lord, so much for, Lord, for sustaining your people. I thank you that um, for the most part, we've been okay. And that when there have been need, Lord, you have given us uh, the resources to meet um, all or portions of the needs that have existed in our community, even to this day, Lord. So I pray and thank you and ask that you would bless what's given, that you would help it be multiplied. So in preparation for what is to come, you know what's coming for us, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you continue to work on our hearts and our minds um, to stretch ourselves, being faithful that you who began this good work in our lives individually and collectively, you'll finish it, Father. You'll finish it for us. We claim you as our source and that you provide the jobs and the inheritances and the other resources that we have. They all come from your hands. And so we thank you for being that in our lives. May you be blessed as you instruct us in how to care, how to be our brothers and our sisters, our siblings keepers, that we might watch and pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, and I'd just like to continue in worship. So, Andrew, uh, if you could pull up worship for us. Thank you. Oh! 
Amen. Um, that was uh, the Wilburns, Allie, Keith, and Sarah, who uh, shared with us this morning. I'm grateful for them, for their friendship. They're like friends I've known for like 24 years. And so I'm grateful. In closing, I would like to uh, draw your attention to the book of Jude, um, the 17th through the 23rd through the 20th second verse and then the doxology at the end 25 24 and 25 but dear friends remember what the apostles of our lord jesus christ foretold they said to you in the last times there will be scoffers who follow their own ungodly their own ungodly de desires these are the men and or these are the people who divide us who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, you dear friends, build up yourself in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to the full experience of salvation or eternal life. And now the doxology. To him who is able to keep us from separating and to present you and I before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, 
before all ages, now and forevermore. We bless you, Lord, and we thank you for your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. We bless you, Lord, because you've made us family. We ask that you continue to unite our hearts, that we can walk out this life together and give your name glory and bring people to an understanding that you are not a God who condemns, you are not a God who harms, but that you want good for us and you empower us to do and be good to one another. This is our prayer. This is our hope in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Everyone be blessed. Have a wonderful day. Enjoy the holiday. Please rest. And I will see you next week. God bless.